It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Well, I tell you what, Rich, today we're definitely going to touch on a very important uh, issue of this day. Uh, what say you? That's what the complete story is all about. That's exactly right, folks. Yep. That's what the complete story is all about. For the listeners to Bot Radio Network uh, to see what the Bible says about something and what's right and what's wrong, all of these things to explore this. And nothing right now is more important to America. I don't care if you live in Texas or in Indiana or Illinois or wherever you may be hearing this program. This program is for you because what has happened in Memphis, Tennessee is something every citizen, every Christian, every person who loves the Lord should pay attention to. My guest is Pastor John DeBerry. John DeBerry has been a pastor and then he's been a state representative And now he is the senior advisor to Governor Bill Lee. Well, that only gives him a lot of experience, but he talks from his heart. And when I first met him on a visit to Memphis, uh, we were introduced, I think, by Bill Owens. And anyway, I never forgot meeting, meeting this gentleman. And when I was thinking, what do we want to talk about on The Complete Story?, is the right and the wrong and what's happening in Memphis for sure. Before we get started, I want you to hear the voice of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and what he said, what he said while he was alive. Here it is. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Yeah. And, you know, as a a Christian, who could dream anything else than that? So, uh, John DeBerry, you are in Memphis, and and Rich and I are in the headquarters of Bot Radio Network. And welcome to The Complete Story. What say you, sir? Well, I am so happy, as always, to talk to uh, both of you. I I appreciate you so much for your ministry, for your work, for your dedication to this country, to our Lord. And I'm just always glad when you include me in your discussions. Just good to see you and talk to you today. Tell me about your life growing up in Memphis and in Tennessee. Tennessee, certainly, but Memphis specifically. Well, uh, when I grew up in Memphis, Memphis is and always has been, in my opinion, a city of good abode. Memphis was a city of neighborhoods, and when I was growing up, Memphis was considered one of the safest cities in America, one of the cleanest cities in America, some of the best neighborhoods in America, the largest uh, development, home development uh, for blacks at, at, at that particular time in the country was Orange Mound, and it was in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis was a place where uh, black folks and white folks, even in the middle of, of segregation and a lot of the issues that were happening in our country right now uh, at that time, Memphis was one of those places where 
that was, I think, relatively good racial harmony, economic uh, 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 benefits for for everybody. It was a, it was a great city. I have watched Memphis uh, kind of devolve uh, since the killing of Dr. King. Uh, I was there when Dr. King made that last speech. My father and mother were very involved in the civil rights movement. My father marched with Dr. King. He was there. Uh, this, the excerpt from the speech you just made in 1963, my father was in that crowd. And so I have watched Memphis change a lot, but I do believe that a lot of the images and a lot of the press about Memphis is exaggerated. And uh, I'm glad that you have come on to talk about it today. Tell me this. What has not been exaggerated? Because this young man has been murdered by the very people that the public employed to bring safety to all citizens. Well, you know, what I believe, one of the things that you and I have talked about, and Rich also over the years that we have talked, we've talked about the fact that we have concentrated so much on racial diversity. And while racial diversity is very important in a country that has always been diverse from the very beginning uh, of the American dream, with all types of people coming together, we we have not concentrated on raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We have not concentrated on building character, patriotism, love of country, love of your fellow man, love of your brethren. Uh, the family has been attacked and is still under attack in this nation, to where the authority of the father and mother has been eroded by the government and. When you put all of those factors together, you're going to have occasions like this where there are those who act outside the law, who act without regard to their fellow man, who are inhumane to a fellow human being. And what we saw on that night, there is no explanation. There is no justification. I don't care what color they were. This was an act of savagery that should not happen in a country with a constitution that gives its citizens rights yeah. to be protected. But the point is, it did happen. And my question, sir, is how did it happen? How were these people employed? How were these people hired? Or, or who was it who failed to train them or vet them so that they would do their job the way it was intended to be done? Well, you know, one of the things that we have done in this country and I think all of us can can attest to this. We over and over we have lowered standards. Over and over we have made character a non-issue. We have made a love of, as I said earlier, love of country, a love of flag, a love of the Constitution, love of fellow Americans. We have acted as though those issues do not matter when it comes to choosing individuals that we empower. Uh, when you put, give a man or a woman a badge and you give them a weapon and put that uniform on, the citizens in, uh, authorize them and empower them for their protection. They're not there to be bullies. They're not there to violate others' rights. They're not there because they are a separate entity. It, it bothers me sometimes when when a, a, uh, 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 there are laws that are broken where the media wants to project 
that the police or the authorities are separate and apart from the citizens of the city or of the state or of the nation. They are part of us, and they're supposed to protect us and follow the laws. People say we need new laws. Everything that was done to that young man is already illegal. There are already laws on the books that, that they violated. We have got to get to, to choosing better people who will obey the laws and then enforce the laws. Yeah. Well, the way it is right now, um, being a policeman must be very, very, very difficult. Uh, and yet, uh, they say a bad apple spoils a barrel. How about having six bad apples that would spoil the barrel in Memphis? Who right. permits that? Who permits that? Who lets that grow and go on uh, until it becomes something pretty terrible on the body politic? Right. And, uh, and, you know, I think you and I, all three of us know that the majority of the men and women who serve, who put that uniform on, who put themselves in danger, who... Uh, go out among the community that the vast majority of them are just citizens who have have accepted a dangerous and difficult job. Uh, I know our state troopers in the state of Tennessee. I know many of them personally. We talk about the Bible. We talk about our children. We talk about church. We talk about the country. They're just regular guys, regular people who put that uniform on and 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 do that difficult job. And as you said, when you have one who chooses and, and they choose by choice to disobey the law, they cast aspersions on all who wear that uniform and those who will not hold them accountable, those who excuse their actions, all they do is exacerbate the problem and make it worse. But I, I just hope and pray that we as Americans understand that uh, we've got to, first of all, support our law enforcement officers. We've got to not blame all of them, but at the same time, those who are in charge and those who allow it must be held accountable. Yeah. All right. Now, you grew up in Memphis. Your mother and father, weren't you, weren't you fortunate to have both a mother and a father? How did they raise you? Yes, sir. I was very fortunate because I not just had a mother and a father. But I had three generations of parents. I had my great-grandparents, my grandparents, and my parents. They all lived side-by-side side on our hill there in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, but when I was a boy, I was extremely blessed. I could start eating on one side and eat my way to the third house uh, from one from great-grandparents to grandparents to parents. They, they raised us uh, knowing that America at that time wasn't what she was going to be, but they raised us teaching us that it was incumbent upon us to have the proper character, to be Christians, to be respectful of ourselves, of our brethren, of the flag. They raised us saying, America's a great place. It's worth fighting for. My father was Korean War era veteran. My, my grandmother's first husband was killed in World War II. So like many Americans, my family has contributed to the freedom of this nation, and we were always taught to appreciate it. Uh, my, my grandparents and great-grandparents were Eisenhower Republicans. My parents were the first uh, to vote Democrat. They voted for Kennedy. 
uh, talking about the changes that were happening in the nation. So I had a very good background of parentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the importance of the family, you see, uh, that's the ideal, isn't it? Isn't that God? I have said so many times that God's first institution that he created was the family. And then the second was the church. And third was civil government. Only those three, but those three in the sequence that I've named them. Now, the family is what the government has torn down, uh, certainly of recent years and over the last many years, probably since, maybe since going clear back into the 1960s, the family was disparaged having a mother and a father as an ideal unit to raise children. But when that wasn't possible, then there'd be a grandmother, or there'd be a neighbor, an aunt, or an uncle, or adoptive parents. But the family is the one thing that has been torn apart, and may I say, sir, by the government, that that entity that should strengthen a family, uh, we've lost that, haven't we? Well, I, I think all of us can follow uh, this narrative. And when I was in first grade at Dunn Avenue School in Memphis, Tennessee, we stood beside that wooden desk, that beautiful classroom, with a teacher who was dressed like she was going to church. We put a hand over our heart. We said the Pledge of Allegiance uh, to the flag. We read a Bible verse. We stood beside that desk and prayed. Our teacher taught us that we had to be articulate, that we had to be personable, that we had to be respectful, that we had to be uh, uh, civically minded, that we had to love our country. We were taught those things even in the days of segregation. We read our weekly reader, and we read about the president, and we were proud of our country, and we wanted to serve our country. For some reason, the government decided to come against the family, doing, uh, making laws and benefits and entitlements that purposely split the family, put the man out of the house, uh, gave benefits to families when the man was absent. And we created this culture in this country to where uh, we, we removed the father as though the father was not important. Every negative category, every negative category, from teenage pregnancy to delinquency uh, to suicide to failure to graduate to uh, all of the, the negative things that are happening in this nation right now can be directly attributed to the devaluing of the father and fatherlessness in this country. I'm not, I am not removing the man's responsibility, but I am asserting that the government had a hand in creating this problem. I think uh, one of the reasons that Dr. Martin Luther King was in Memphis when he was killed is to speak at a rally about the garbage strike. Am I, am I wrong about that? Because that, that the, is absolutely correct. Because the that employment, right. you see, a man has to have a, the right to get a job. The man has to be able to equally be able to seek employment for whatever he is able in his skill set he wants to do for a living to support his family. At that time, uh, black men could only apply for uh, the garbage trucks to handle the garbage 
the garbage pails, and they couldn't even get a job to drive the garbage truck. That was kind of what that was all about, wasn't it? Yes, sir. It's exactly what it was about. It was a society that at that particular time, was, was there a lot of economic progress? There were a lot of black folks in Memphis who were doing very well, buying homes and doing various, various things. But the, the opportunities for upward mobility were not there equally for black men and women, and especially for black men. Yeah. I, I remember what we used to call the garbage men. Yeah. They would have a number three tub filled with garbage on their shoulders, carrying it toward the trucks. And, and they would do this all day in the hot sun or in the cold weather. I remember when my dad brought that sign home. My dad worked at the post office. So my dad, as a veteran, had a, had a good job. But he brought that sign home, and he set it right in front of my grandmother's television. And that I am a man sign, I can see it as clear yeah. today as it was in 1968. Yeah. I remember those men putting on their Sunday best, holding arms, walking down the street behind Dr. King, because they had the courage, they had the stamina, they had the faith. And they conducted themselves in such a great way that they not only changed Memphis, they changed the country, they changed the world yeah. because of the way they carried themselves. Oh, and I my. think even to this day, we are proud of those men. My good brother, I vividly remember when I saw those signs on television, I am a man. I didn't understand what on earth uh, they signified or what they meant until somebody explained it to me. It could have been Bill Owens, but I think it was long before then. I am a man. I'm not a boy. I'm not a nothing. I am a man. And that was the issue. Yeah. Because they weren't treated as men. They that weren't respected the as men. They weren't acknowledged as men. They weren't able to seek employment as a qualified man for the job that they wanted to seek. So there's a lot, not only that went on in Memphis, but all over the United States. And everybody owns that, don't they? Whether you're listening in Chicago, yes, or listening in St. Louis, or, or um, um, whatever you're hearing this broadcast, we all own that. No, no more so than the churches. Can we talk about the role of the churches in exercising their influence over the people to seek justice and make sure things don't get out of hand or out of control. Speak to that. Yes, sir. I think that one of the things that I, that I think gets lost, there are so many people who are celebrating Dr. King and marching on Dr. King's birthday and the national holiday. Uh, I, they have forgotten, too many have forgotten what Dr. King stood for. Dr. King was not a dividing factor. He was a unifying factor. Dr. King told us to stand together. When Dr. King marched, there were black men, white men, black women, white women, Jews, Gentiles. There were all types of people who marched together uh, to, to change this nation. Yeah. He was not a, a divisive uh, personality. He said, America, hold to your promise. He often used the term our forefathers, the founding fathers, meaning he wasn't trying to destroy this nation. He was trying to tell this nation to live up to his promises to all citizens. Yes. And I think that's often lost uh, as to how he brought people together. Dr. King was one of the first to say back in the early 60s when he wrote a thesis, 
He said, if we're not careful, our colleges and universities are going to produce a group of unreasonable, unscientific propagandists who are immersed in immoral acts. How prophetic is that? When we look at our campuses today and we see that they are doing everything, that, that the, they're, they're uh, destroying the family, they're removing gender designations, they're removing books that talk about patriotism, the Bible is not allowed. And when you, you look at all of this, we have a nation that's destroying itself from within, and that's exactly what our enemies want us to do, destroy ourselves from within. Now, you mentioned all of the different people that marched with Dr. King, but there were plenty of people uh, that go to church in Memphis, uh, claim to be Christians, who were not marching with him. They were standing on the sidewalk or on the side, and they were uh, they were anything but friendly, uh, to say the very least. And we've got to acknowledge that and say, why was that? And for goodness sake, what role did the church play in doing the right thing? I'll tell you what, before you even answer, I want to mention to our radio listeners, we're visiting with uh, John DeBerry from Memphis, who was raised there, born and raised there. And uh, during the course of his of his growing up in adulthood, he, uh, well, he's now a senior advisor to Governor Bill Lee there in Tennessee and a member of the governor's cabinet. But he's a pastor and also... He's our dear friend, our dear brother. I want our engineer right now to play again the voice of Dr. King. Here it is. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Yeah. And four little children that have a mother and four little children that have a father and four little children that are capable and are well-educated from a good school who doesn't teach the boys how to be girls and not the girls how to be boys, but to educate them fully so they can apply for the job and seek their future like everybody else in America. What say you, sir? Well, that speech uh, that he made in 63 and then the speech he made that night, he said, I have been to the mountaintop, and I have seen the promised land. And this is what Dr. King said, I have seen, is exactly what you just said, that, that families would be raising their children, that children would be building their character, that America would come together in unity and, and be that light on the, on the top of the hill that we're capable of, of becoming. And the shame of it is, when he made that speech, I could, I could hear the trembling in his voice. And I asked my father after we left the temple, I said, he wasn't, I said, Dr. King wasn't like himself. I had heard him talk many times. Yeah, I heard him laugh and, and casual conversation with men like my father and other men, the garbage men and others. And I said, he didn't sound like himself. And, and my dad informed me that night that he had death threats, that there have been those who have said that he was not leaving Memphis alive and that they had tried to get him to leave. They had tried to get him to, to uh, kind of 
uh, off the radar, get out of town, but he had stayed uh, to make that speech. I think there was something in him that said that God has allowed him to see the vision of what America can become, what America can be, but that he was not, like he said, I may not get there with you. And I would just hope that young people who see these images of Dr. King and these pictures of Dr. King and hear the speeches that he made, realize the character that he and other men and women, black and white, many of whom lost their lives in that movement, that we again find that strong character that made us uh, the, the envy of the world because with all of our faults and our failures and our flaws, we, we, we lifted up our faith, and it was our faith that brought us through those times. And it's our faith that will make us better and heal us now. I just hope we get back to our faith. Uh, our guest on this chapter of The Complete Story has been pastor and then uh, state representative and now senior advisor, member of the governor's cabinet in Tennessee, John DeBerry. Pastor DeBerry, would you close this program in prayer? I most certainly will take that privilege. Merciful God, our Father in heaven, the Father of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We approach you humbly before your throne with our heads bowed toward the earth from which we came, but our hearts lifted up to you. We thank you so much for uh, this opportunity. We thank you for Brother Bott and Rich Bott. We thank you for all that you have done, all that you have given. We pray that you continue to allow them to send the message of hope, of reconciliation, the the message of salvation to a world that is losing itself. Continue to give them strength and give us all the courage to live our faith, to be thankful for what you have given us and turn to you in our time of need. We pray for the family of Tyree Nichols. We pray for the families of all of those who have lost loved ones. We pray pray for good police women and men across this country, the men and women of our military. We thank you, Father, for all that you have done. Continue to take care of us, and we thank you for all of these things. We ask for all of these blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, Rich, give the phone number. Our listener comment line is 1-800-345-2621. We'd love to hear from you. 1-800-345-2621. And this is Dick Bott with this chapter of The Complete Story with my son, Rich, and our guest, John DeBerry from Memphis. See you later.